Hello and welcome to the Powered by Rock podcast, where we're going to be speaking with Eric Hauser from the punk band Counterpunch. Counterpunch has been around the skate punk scene since about 2006, and they released their fourth studio album, Rewire, in June 2022, after an extended break of about eight years since their last release. I thoroughly enjoyed the new album, and I wanted to dig into it and other great conversations with Eric about Counterpunch and find out how the eight years gap shaped the new songs. We'll dig into Eric's brain like a neurosurgeon right after this. You're listening to the Powered by Rock podcast with your host, Isaac Kuhlman. The Powered by Rock podcast was created to help showcase some of the best rock musicians in the world and to pass on to future generations the rock music that has inspired rock fans around the world for decades. We want listeners to be able to hear great stories and life experiences directly from their favorite artists, as well as dig deeper into music theory and talk rock like no other show you've ever heard. This isn't about looking cool. It's about getting real and having a great time. Without further ado, let's start the show. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power by Rock podcast. Today, I'm stoked to bring on Eric from Counterpunch to talk about their new album, uh, you know, their career ups and downs and the new wave of pop punk and more. So, hey, Eric, welcome to the show. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. We have a whole, you know, cheering section for you and everything. So it's good. <laughs> Quite robust. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, you guys have been around the punk scene for quite a while now. Um, I would say, you know, you're kind of not like punk pioneers, but you've been around since like the, the kind of end of that big pop punk wave back in the early 2000s, late 90s. And I, I think you guys are almost eligible as a band for, you know, being enlisted into the military service and voting here pretty soon. So <laughs> I can't imagine it's been, you know, all rosy during all these years putting music together. But can you tell me about your journey so far and some of the highs and lows and how the band's still managing to put music out after all these years? Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is when you find people in your life that you love as like family, it's obviously you're going to have fights. You're going to have great times. You're going to have bad times. You're going to have disagreements, but we in like our little camp counterpunch like to think that those spirited conversations happen because we all care too much, you know? So uh, I think in any given creative environment, you're going to have those ebbs and flows of someone who feels very strongly about a certain idea and someone that disagrees with said idea and they're both fighting for both sides of that coin to be the uh, predominant one that ends up in the end. But uh, I think for, for us, uh, I've known Jared, God, like most of my life at this point. It's pretty crazy to think yeah. about it. We met in high school. He went to, you know, a different different high school than me, but he was always in other punk bands when I was playing in like the Scott punk band in, in high school, you know, late 90s. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Everybody was in the Scott punk band. Um, and you know, flash forward a few years, that project kind of fizzled and, you know, I was looking for, for a bass player and someone that I knew could sing. And I knew Jared had that, that sweet crooner's voice, you know, he can hit all them (laughs) notes and, uh, easy on the eyes. What a dreamboat that man is. And, uh, he's the real perfect, you know, combo right there. Totally. Right. (laughs) So I, uh, got in touch with his sister who put me in touch with him and you know i think the rest is kind of just history from that point um we originally started kind of in my parents basement out in the suburbs of chicago uh under the name dear you not my choice i know jawbreaker i get it um <laughs> which is funny because none of us have ever really been big jawbreaker fans to begin with but the the drummer who started this this project that would become counterpunch with me 
had like this logo drawn up and I was like, fuck it, let's, yeah, sure. That sounds great, whatever. I just yeah. went with it based on a logo and uh, what a bad band name. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we, uh, I, I, we, I always bring we up the fact that Dave Grohl, you know, he named his band Foo Fighters. He's like, had I known we'd have stuck around this long, I would have never called us the Foo Fighters. So, Sure. I mean, once you're kind of in it, you're in it. You're stuck <laughs> exactly. after a while, you know? Can't really rebrand anymore. <laughs> Unless you, like, decide to kick out members and, like, well, we're a different band now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we were a three-piece at, at uh, the outset, and one of our friends, Andy, who's also in another band called Alice Fails out of Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, we started chit-chatting and decided to become a four-piece, and that's kind of when Counterpunch was actually officially born. Nice. And then obviously going all through, you know, you guys have been, you've toured you know, several different countries. You got to tour nationally, obviously. What's kind of been the kind of coolest things you guys have seen, you know, from being in the band? And were there any points where, you know, like, obviously, even in that eight-year gap where you're just like, we're done, uh, I don't think we can do this anymore. You know, obviously rock music and punk music doesn't always pay the bills. It doesn't really, you know, it's not the, the, the main income for most any band out there, but was there sure. any kind of conversations like that during these years? Honestly, no. Um, I mean, even if we weren't able to tour extensively, I think there's just that creative bug. There's so much, there's so much material that we have just like little snippets here and there, full songs. But even if we couldn't physically be on the road as much as we maybe have been in the past or didn't have the opportunities to do so, we would still be cranking out music. Yeah. I mean, not playing doesn't sound fun. So, yeah. <laughs> and not like creating new new music it doesn't sound like a fun thing I want to be a part of. So as long as my fingers work and I have a voice, I'm still going to be cranking out tunes with, uh, with the guys. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the... Uh... The thing with musicians, I, I remember, and I told this to one of the guests before, but I remember when I was in like sixth grade, and this would have been like 93 or something like that, where uh, I heard on this uh, newsreel that Paul, Paul Simon was retiring from music. And I was like, how is that possible? Like, you're a musician regardless. And of course, they got a farewell tour, big ass, you know, everybody guessed, you know, being in the concerts and everything. Paul McCartney's probably there, all these other guys. And then lo and behold, he released a new album like two years later. I'm like, what was that he got all bored. <laughs> Yeah, he got bored. Yeah. That was a, we call that the money grab and the oops. Um, yep. <laughs> maybe I want to do that and make more money again. Yeah, exactly. It's like when uh, businesses say going out of, going out of business sale and then they're like, oh, we're just moving next door or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Everything must go. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously you've done a lot of growing up. Well, I, I say that obviously you've aged since the beginning of the band. Some people say punk rockers never really grow up, but uh how has your perspective changed over the years since begin, being in the beginning of the band to now? I think experience definitely plays a part in that, you know, um, experience and, and concentrating on the wrong things, you know, yeah. like worrying about, you know, maybe like what you're wearing on stage or uh, what you guys look like in this particular photo or, you know, it's like, you look like what you look like. You, yeah. you can't, you can't polish a turd. You know, it's uh, you can put makeup on it and, and whatnot, but in the end, it's still a turd. I'm not saying yeah. that we're turds, but you get my point. Um, yep, I believe that's a classic Beavis and Butthead line. <laughs> speaking of which, have you seen the new movie yet? I have not seen it yet, but I will be watching it soon. I freaking it's awesome. I'm sure I got halfway through and I was passing out after like a 12 hour work day, so I need to revisit the second half of that movie. But it was it was pretty good, it was a pretty good return to form for them. But yeah. anyway, yep. um, yeah, I don't know. I just I just think 
now that we've kind of, I'm 42 now, you know, I started the band when I was like 20, 21, maybe somewhere right, right around there. And, you know, there's a substantial difference between the kind of life you're living when you're 22 versus when you're 42. Yeah. Um, I'm married. Jared has a child. He's married. You know, it's, it's, it's just different. You grow up a little bit and your, your tastes change. And I feel like if you're putting out the same album every time, that you're not really growing musically. Yeah. You're just kind of going through the motions. Yeah. And so. that's actually a pretty good segue into what I was just going to talk about next, because I kind of seen a, a trend on the new album to have a bit more serious tone. Obviously it's, you know, kind of that anti-religious sentiment that you kind of talked about, you know, and, um, you know, some of the older al albums kind of had some of that lighthearted stuff, even had a couple of ska sounding riffs and pieces to songs and, and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, all that's pretty much gone on this album. It's, it's pretty much a straightforward, a bit, I wouldn't say heavy or anything like heavy in tone, but it's, it's definitely more like, you know, like a bad religion type album where it's straight punk rock. And you get that feeling that you guys kind of have like a, not an elder statesman, but you kind of just to have like a grown up attitude when writing the songs now versus you know when you maybe when you're 20 25 you're talking about going to parties and doing all sure. that kind of stuff and hanging out so i mean there's there's still songs about that they just didn't make the uh the final cut there's a lot of b-sides <laughs> that didn't uh didn't yeah. make the cut and then i think um finish your question sorry i think uh, no no go ahead you know, i'll finish in a second on. here it's uh we live in such a weird you know timeline right now and I think even when we were writing these songs, we didn't realize how poignant some of the topical things were going to be now. Yeah. And I mean, looking at what's going on with the Supreme Court in this country and the U.S. and and, and just like all the things that are happening and how, how like that separation of church and state is just getting like completely smashed and combined by a very small vocal minority yeah. that has somehow absconded with all the power and decision making. And we all just have to deal with it. It's It's like... It's pretty, it's, you know, it's not the time to be writing songs about partying. It's, it's a, it's a real fucked up time right now. Yeah. I feel like Marvel messed us all up. And when they had Thanos do that snap thing, they just sent us into an actual alternate reality and we're all, I know, up. right. <laughs> if we go back like 20 years. This timeline sucks. <laughs> so but, I was going to say, do you feel like, point, you know, yeah, that we did, we did grow up a lot between yeah. the last album and this one. And part of the reason it took, there part of the gap was that the eight years of in between bruises and now this album, it would have been more like five and a half years, but COVID. So yeah. um, that's, that's a part of the chunk. The other chunk is we essentially started writing this record almost right after bruises came out. Gotcha. And our goal was to kind of get into a lot of cities and places that we just haven't played before as much as humanly possible. So that was a little bit more of the concentration was being on the road, trying to play as much as possible in places that we maybe have been or haven't been before and get into new markets with the band and just expand and expand the listener base. And I think that kind of took away from us just being home, writing and writing and writing, yeah. you know, and getting ready to release a new record. And then uh, we definitely kind of changed the interior creative elements of the band between records two, uh, we parted ways with Brian, Kyle came on board and we had a lot of the record already written at that point, but it's not fun if you're joining a band and they're going into a studio situation and you're, you kind of feel like you're playing in a cover band. Yeah. So we, we kind of went back to square one. We tore the songs back down 
and really got Kyle involved in kind of the arrangement and production process of writing these new songs. I think, I think the, uh, the record shines a lot more because of that too. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's always interesting when you have a, you know, uh, especially when you're going into the studio, it's like, you know, you don't want this person just to kind of go through the motions. You want them to add something creatively, creatively, creatively to the band. And while they're doing that, you know, they actually will enjoy that more. It's kind of like a morale booster to have their, their say in the band, you know, uh, you know, I've worked with, you know, I was, I was at the front of a band before and I always felt like nobody ever wanted to do the work. So I always had to prepare everything and show them what they're supposed to do as they're coming to practice. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I want you guys to like come up with stuff because it's way more fun and sounds way better when I'm not the one that comes up with this stuff. So you definitely get, you know, other bands and I've, I've played with other bands where, you know, everybody comes when they're already, already practiced and went home and listened to the songs and did their own thing, come back. You're like, Holy shit, this is awesome. Like compared yeah. to like then trying to dictate everything to everybody else. Doing your homework and actually being kind of mentally invested yeah. and coming with some fresh ideas that, Hey, maybe, maybe I didn't think of it, or maybe you didn't think of it. And you hear this little part and you're like, that is awesome. I would have never come up with that. Exactly. Exactly. Right. I was going to say, uh, you know, the second part of that question was basically, do you feel like punk rock in general is kind of aging up? Uh, basically what I mean by that is, you know, when I was young, when you were young, it was always, you know, punk rock was for, you know, 12 to 25 year olds, maybe something like that. And, and you kind of aged out once you got to a point where you had a career or whatever, but now it's like punk rock is actually kind of career people. Like it's like the people that are sitting in offices or, you know, doing stuff like, you know, you know, working at breweries, that seems to be a big one for a lot of punk bands these days, <laughs> It does working, working at breweries or working at like, you know, guitar centers and working in the music industry in that way. But you know, the target audience doesn't seem to be 13, 14 year old kids anymore. It seems to be a 25 plus audience because we kind of grew up on it. Do you think that it's aging up and aging out these, these target markets that we you know when we grew up is, or do you think that there's going to be kind of some depth of market there where like these kids kind of might latch onto it? And, and do you think that that shapes your writing at all? I think it kind of comes down to the tastemakers, obviously uh, electronic music in the last 10 years has really taken off because yeah. of not only the accessibility of the instruments and the ability to create, you know, masterpieces at home without actually touching an instrument. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you consider I, it a masterpiece then, but yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I'm just trying to be nice. I'm not going <laughs> to yuck on someone else's yum. If that's what they're into, that's cool. Maybe it's not for me, but that's fine. Um, well, I didn't call this powered by EDM. I called it powered by rock, damn it. <laughs> oh, that's the next interview. That's the next hour, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, it, it is. That's the one I make it, money on, all right? Don't, don't tell anybody about that one. <laughs> see, that's the thing. Um, I don't know. I think, I think kids are growing up on different music than what I or you might have grown up on. And I think that's kind of what dictates where the market goes. Because, yeah. yes, people grow and change and maybe get out of certain trends that they were into at certain ages. But, I mean, if you if a song is a song that you like, you're gonna like it later in life too. You're not gonna just be like, well, I don't, I don't listen to that anymore. Yeah. Unless yeah, there was some sort of traumatic experience, like you got dropped on your head crowd surfing or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I would say that it is kind of like I would say 18 to 34, maybe 45, somewhere in there now. That's the target market, I think, for punk. Yeah. And it all depends on again what the tastemakers are doing. If if the 90s are cool again, all of a sudden, who knows? There might be like another pop punk skate punk revival it always seems to be very cyclical these kind of yeah. trends so um 
I don't think anyone's reinventing the wheel at this point. So no. there's not that many new, uh, not that many new kinds of music that can kind of get made at this point. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing about guitar based music is you either have to be, you know, like a virtuoso where it's just like you're playing incredibly fast or incredibly, you know, sophisticated scales, or you just play exactly what sounds good in a song. And I have always preferred just play a song that sounds good. You know, there's bands out there like Metallica, Dave Matthews band that, you know, for good reason, they're, they're well acclaimed and, and highly acclaimed bands, but I'm just like, I don't like the music. I don't care how talented yeah. you are. They're just not my kind of music. Right. So everybody has their own taste. And it's like, if you just made the, the song good, as opposed to like trying to put in all these, you know, crazy, you know, solos or whatever you want to do and make it sound really incredibly technical. Um, you can do that to some degree, but I think people get bored after you're watching, you know, a jam band for a full hour. I still don't well, get it. We'll go to that, fish. That depends how many drugs, how many drugs yeah. you took. <laughs> yeah. If you just want to yeah. hear like the same solo in the key of C for like a half an hour, just so you can dance and you're just all effed up on whatever yeah. goo ball you ate in the parking lot. Um, <laughs> you know, I, that's cool. Again, I'm not going to yuck your yum. I'm, I'm of the mentality of like, all right, dude, you've been soloing for 25 minutes. Can we just like, does this go anywhere? Yeah. <laughs> we are we going yeah. anywhere with this? But I'm also a kid that grew up on like three minute punk songs and like you exactly. Know, so. It's not that my attention spans bad, and it's not that I don't love a good solo. But I always listen to like David Gilmore from Pink Floyd solo for two minutes and be like, "That's all he needs to do." This guy yeah. is a grandfather of great guitar solos. Why in the f are we sitting here listening to a jam band who? isn't really known for being great soloists, you know, or anything like that, virtually speaking, or, you know, historically speaking, why am I listening to this band play for so long? It makes no sense. Right. I mean, I think, I think there's different approaches and to, to like writing the actual song, the, the studs or the bones of the song, shall we say? Yeah. I mean, some are melody driven. Some are, all right, the song is done. Hey singer, you need to put something over this whole song, you know? Um, I think we kind of fall halfway between both mentalities. I'm very much of the melody driven, like I'll, you know, I'll add tasteful guitar stuff in there, but it's like, in my opinion, if you can't take the song and strip it down to the vocal melody and the bass chords, and it's, if it's not good, then it's not going to be better if you keep stacking things on top of that. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, just figure out a solid melody first and direction not even not even a full arrangement even, but just have the the meat and potatoes that you can strip everything away and it still stands on its own as like a catchy, good song. Everything else is going to fall into place after that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, if you just imagine you take the whole band away from a guy who's doing a guitar solo and then put that person on stage. I actually watched this happen, by the way, um, when the guitar players from um, Trans-Siberian Orchestra was playing at a literally a, a bar here in Vegas and there was like 17 people there, maybe, maybe tops, including the other bands. And the dude was just soloing for 45 minutes. He had the backing track of Trans-Siberian Orchestra, but I, or whatever. It wasn't even that. I think it was like his own backing track or whatever. And I was like, no, no singing, nothing. I'm like, holy shit. I have no idea why you'd like this works. If you have pyrotechnics and all that kind of cool shit to like go along with it and lighting, it does not work in front of 17 people. And you're playing just solos for 45 minutes. I was like, who thought I mean, this was a good idea? I mean, the, whoever booked him was like, hey, do you want to come solo for an hour? Here's $700. I'd be like, yeah, I'll go practice guitar in front of 10 people Yeah, exactly. for an hour. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'll take the money, I guess, and uh, nothing else. Cause I'm sure I you got imagine. paid more than that. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how he made any money or I would feel it just like 
embarrassed. They'd be like, well, I'll play three songs and get the hell out of here because this is stupid. But teach their own. <laughs> was he like was he like totally into it and just like going for it? Like oh, yeah. air flips and like Oh yeah. You know, I mean he, he, did, he did it like he would do it on a big stage, which was impressive, awesome. but you I gotta you gotta appreciate that at the least. <laughs> yeah, it's commitment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get back into the album. So I'm a huge fan of this album, and the sound on this album seems to be an evolution uh, in some ways from past albums for sure. And while I love the other albums, especially Dying to Exonerate the World, I think that was just a fantastic album. Probably, I mean, I, I, I like Rewire, but to this point, uh, Dying to Exonerate the World was my favorite Counterpunch album. This one seems to be a lot more tight, well-made, uh, comprehensive theme as well, which doesn't always come from you know some of the other albums. Um, and did you specifically have like any elements that you wanted to incorporate on this album that you maybe picked up during production process or just over the years from experience that you didn't have in your arsenal on past albums? I think our approach to the way this, this album was written is, was completely different than anything we've kind of done before. Um, getting Kyle into the band, he's, he's a recording engineer. So we had both him and myself able to, bounce things back and forth and ideas you know mm -hmm. um instead of just having to all be in a room i can be anything can hit me at a moment and i can just hit record and send it over to him like whoa check this out what do you think of you know i worked on this last night what do you think yeah and it gives and you more time later, he's like stop sending me your bullshit man yeah right he's like i quit <laughs> i'm trying to I sleep quit. Four in the morning. I don't care that you went down a rabbit hole and you've been jamming in front of your computer for the last six hours. Um, I think that changed how we how we kind of approach this record. We had a lot more time to do pre-production to really flush out every single possible idea that anyone may have wanted to try. And this is something we kind of started with the bruises recording. We actually have like pie slices, like pizza pie slices. So when there's a contentious part, like someone likes one this part, two other people don't like it. It's like, all right, well, put your slice down and, you know, majority rules. So um, you can't make everyone happy all the time. I'm sure there yeah. were parts that I fought for that didn't make the record. And, you know, I, I, who knows if it would have been better or worse. But regardless, I really like that particular part. Yeah. Um, I think that in, on itself really shaped the end result of this record, having so much time and just access to be able to record, which we didn't really have prior. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, you know, just kind of stemming off of that pizza idea. If, if you ever really get you know sick of the band, you could just go off on your own and start leftover slices. And that could be your, your solo project. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. But that's pretty cool. I mean, you know, obviously getting group. Sounds pretty, sounds pretty crusty, bro. Oh, wow. Look at this puns and puns and puns. <laughs> puns. <laughs> Dad jokes, and you're not even a dad, so that's pretty good. <laughs> so I think, obviously, you know, when you have a band, you know, there's there's plenty of punk bands out there, you know, especially, you know, just thinking off the top of my head, like Lagwagon, for example, Joey Cape goes off and does his own solo albums that don't quite fit on, and then he does side projects with other friends and stuff like that, because God, God doesn't have enough to do, it seems like, with, you know, just playing in, you know, punk pioneering band like Lagwagon. But I think, you know, when you play in a certain band, you have to have, you don't want to just stick to the same sound necessarily, but you don't want to just go completely off the rails either and kind of alienate the crowd that you're with. So I can see how like your band can rein you in, if, especially if you're trying to write something totally different and they're like, nah, I don't think, I don't think we want to do that, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
I don't feel like you should ever kind of draw a box around what you're allowed sure. to kind of write within a project. But I also don't think that you can just like be like, this is what we do, but not today, yeah. not tomorrow. For the next month and this next record, we're going to do all completely different shit. Yeah. So, I mean, call it a different band at that point. You got to yeah, exactly. kind of like, you got to stick to kind of what you are known for, what you've built your reputation on to a point. Yeah. But who's to say that you can't, you know, throw the occasional mid-tempo rock tune in there? I mean, not everything has to be like 210 BPM and just like every song shredding in your face, you know? <laughs> you don't have to do that every second of every song. Yeah. Well, and, and I think honest, that... it's kind of the older I get, and maybe it is because I'm older, I do find that some records that hit like that, I kind of lose interest by, I get like listening fatigue after a yeah. while. Cause I'm just like, yeah, that's a really cool riff, but it's like the same exact crazy high tempo as every other song on this record. Nothing really differentiates itself from the next song. This could be all a bunch of, of singles rather than a collection of songs that are actually an album. Yeah, for sure. And I think a good example of that is the new Turnstile album from last year, where it was like one song just absolutely slams really hard. And the next song is like some weird, like love song that you're like, I don't even know what the hell, what's happening in this album. It's all over the place, but I mean, they made it work. I, I, I wouldn't say all of the songs are for me personally, but uh, it was an interesting album to hear because you just don't get that from a lot of like, you know, established punk bands or whatever. And, you know, they're not the, well, they're getting pretty famous now, but they weren't exactly the most famous before that album came out. But a lot of people really, 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 really love that album. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. That was, that was definitely on uh, one of my most played from, from last year for sure. It still is. I actually just bought it on vinyl like two weeks ago. Yeah. I was just yeah, trying to be like holiday. That was probably my, one of my favorite songs from last year. Just freaking slams. I love that song. Nice. Yeah. That's yeah, a good one, dude. Yeah. So let's go into the concept of rewire because it's, you know, I kind of mentioned earlier it's, it, and you were talking about, you know, the, the religious right in this country. Right. So it's highly motivated against the religious right, which is, I think with, with most creative people in, in the, uh, the industry of, of, of making music, that aren't in country music or in some sort of corporate rock music or something. Uh, you know, the, the idea that God is above your fellow man in our own planet just seems fucking stupid. It's like illogical. It makes no sense that you treat everybody on earth like shit just so God praises you later. It's like, that doesn't really make sense. Aren't you supposed to be good people here and there? And, uh, you know, I'd say like, you know, everybody kind of grapples with that clear logic of this is how you're supposed to treat your planet. This is how you're supposed to treat your people. This is how you're supposed to, you know, be a, a good person versus the completely illogical things of we're taking away your rights, we're, we're removing your ability to think for yourself, and we're just going to spit some bullshit into your face until you believe everything we say. I just don't see why <laughs> this is so hard to understand. And I know you detail through this, all this stuff through the songs quite a bit, but was there a specific spark? Was there one specific thing that just pissed you off enough to where you're like, this is why we got to go in this direction? Or was it just the collection of all the horse shit that's happened in the last five to six years to answer that question i think it was honestly just a culmination of a lot of things that have, have been going on it wasn't like a knee jerk to one thing specifically it's just i, I it's so hard to ignore you know yeah. people that do you want free will and it's the same people that are screaming about my freedoms my freedoms my freedoms but they just want to take them away from everyone else if they disagree with what yeah. they're doing and then they cite some random interpretation of a book that this other person may or may not have even read. Yeah. But some talking head is telling them that this is bad and God says this and God yeah. says that. It's like, 
an imaginary person that talked to somebody 3,000 years ago and then he wrote something down is going to guide you on whether you can have power over your next door neighbor when they don't even believe in the same thing as you, but yeah. your way is right, their way is wrong because you have God on your side and they have their God on their side, whatever. It, it's just, it's such a ridiculous concept when I thought, correct me if I'm wrong, that whole text, no matter what religious text you're looking at, a lot of it is based around treating your fellow man how you'd want to treat yourself, like be treated. Yeah. Like, in the end, but I think, yeah, I, think I have to stop you there because like you said the key phrase, right? Fellow man. Most of those books don't talk about mm -hmm. women in the same light. Sorry, fellow fellow, fellow people, fellow humans. Yeah. I mean, man is like humanity. It's <laughs> like a blanket. Well, that's that's where everyone's like, oh, no, that's just talking about men. And, you know, the Muslims are all about, you know, mistreating women and Christians are all about keeping subordinate wives and all that stuff. I'm like, who the fuck said that was the thing that you have to abide by? Like, there's so many stories in the Bible and you're focused on the things where you get power, not the things where you share power. Yeah, I mean that's that's the thing. You, you want control over someone else's decisions. Yeah. When, like, who cares if your your neighbors across the street are a gay, married, single, same sex couple? Who cares? How does that affect yeah. you in any way, shape, or form? Yeah. Or like, who cares that well, Christmas you know, is going to be canceled now because the gays live across the street? Man, what's what's going on? <laughs> that's how it all starts. <laughs> Yeah, I think that everything that, you know, I remember when that whole thing about the Dr. Seuss books came out. Oh, they're canceling Dr. Seuss. I'm like, actually, they're just putting a thing up front that says, like, there may be some racially insensitive stuff or they might change the character animation just to make it not so racist. I'm like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's all canceling. Switch. It's all distraction away from the actual problems. All the weird, like, culture war garbage that specifically the right likes to always bring up is just like a, Hey, look over here, look over here while well, we do all this terrible shit over here, sure. but get really mad about this. So you don't pay any attention yeah. to what we're actually doing or not doing about any problems at all over here. Yeah. All those, all those um, rural areas in the Midwest and the South that yeah. don't get any help from Republicans at all, but still support them 100%. It's pretty insane because you know, the, you think a, a billionaire, quote unquote, billionaire like Donald Trump gives a shit about, you know, people in, you know, rural Georgia or Tennessee that he's never going to give a shit, like never see anything to do with those people. He's, he, I just don't understand how people are so blindly convinced by, you know, Tucker Carlson's and those guys out, out there in the world where these guys went to, you know, Ivy League schools. They don't they don't know how to work for themselves like you do. Yeah. Like, why are it's, you following their advice? It makes no sense to me. It's the fear of, of any sort of change from anything, either positive or negative, that drives that mentality. It is the most yeah. bottom rung, terrible political card, but it works so well. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of those people haven't left their little bubble of where they've lived their entire life, too. So they don't even know what the actual world is like. You yeah. know, I, I would like to pluck them and move them to, like, Europe or South America for six months just to experience some different culture, anything that's not just like what they've known their entire life with their grandfather, their great grandfather, and no one changes anything because why change anything if it's been working well this long? Yeah. But that's yeah. how you get taken advantage of too, because from, from like a political standpoint, it's if, if uh, no change is this, what I have right now, then I am totally okay with that because God forbid we change something and someone says the word socialism or communism or anything like that, even though I don't understand those terms, but all you need to do is say it one time. Meanwhile, I'm going to go on my government-funded road, 
go check a book out of my government funded library, maybe go to the park later and take a dip in the government funded pool. But none yeah. of that socialism. It's yeah. all bad when you say that word. <laughs> yeah. You know, police departments weren't in the Constitution either, but here we are. We still have them in their, their social constructs. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like I said, it's such a weird timeline right now, man. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to hearken a call. Right, happy song. I'm going to hearken a call back and call us not hypocrites because we weren't saying anything about new music or anything like that. But, you know, it's very similar to that concept of like old punk is better than new punk or new music. I wouldn't say we, we've gone that far or anything like that because we, I don't, I actually love lots of new punk music. I'm one of the few people that I know that actually stopped, you know, that don't just listen to music that they listened to in high school and still listen to new music. Um, where most people that I know, they're like, I've only listened, I've been listening to Blink-182 and Green Day since 2000. I'm like, what the hell, man? <laughs> like, there are yeah. other music, like other rock bands out there you got to go check out. But, you know, there are people like that. And it, it's it's not to say that it's wrong or right, but I feel like there's just a, uh, a mental block that people just need to get over that change is inevitable and what's wrong with it. Like, it's it's usually the newest generation is is more right than the last generation just based on the fact that they got to learn from the last generation right so as time goes you know the process of getting smarter more intelligent minus the dark ages obviously for for religious reasons anytime you bring religion into it it dumbs down an entire sect or, or an entire society um so aside from those happenings the generations get smarter and smarter and you know we I always say, you know, my name's Isaac and, and obviously Isaac Newton was this famous mathematical genius and physics guy. And I was like, well, if he was so smart, why did I learn algebra in like seventh grade when he had to figure it out his whole life? Like, it's like 250 years difference, right? Like, that's the whole point. Like, yeah. We're smarter now than we used to be. So why don't we fucking act like it? <laughs> the I feel like social media and the spread of disinformation and people are able to access the weirdest corners of the darkest places. And it gets traction and all of a sudden it's like, well, all these doctors said this, but I know they're lying. Yeah. Like you're right. They went to school for like, I don't know, 15 years longer than you and spent like half a million dollars of their, their money to learn this information, but they're wrong. And yeah. you who works at Walmart in the middle of fucking nowhere, <laughs> definitely stumbled upon some giant conspiracy. You're right. Well, all I got to do is find one person on the U on YouTube that's dissenting from that popular belief right and they're like that guy knows what's up and they'll find like, one person of color and be like see obama was terrible this one person of color believes that he wasn't a good president it's like yeah it's <laughs> echo chamber it's literally like yeah you you gravitate toward people that have the same exact beliefs and like watch the same things and believe the same things as you do and anything that's outside of that is clearly wrong yeah and i don't usually get too political on this but uh you know you, you can't ignore shit like that when, when it happens for so long and it's just, it's mind mind boggling. And I just don't, I can't understand a society that just willingly gives away everything for the sake of convenience. And then just complains about, you know, after the fact, like, Hey, why didn't, you know, why weren't more judges appointed by Barack Obama or, you know, why did the, you know, the senators, the Republican Senate block, you know, Merrick Garland from getting, it's like, all these little things over the years, gerrymandering, you know, you know, even campaign finance reform, like that has to happen. Term limits, those yeah. things have to happen. Otherwise we're living in an oligarchy and we're never going to change. And it, 
democracy is just an actual facade. Well, that's that's the whole thing. It's 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 trying to cling to power rather than actually doing what you were put there to do. Yeah. And the amount of money that flows through these people's pockets just by being career politicians, they don't care about who elected them and what they actually need and why they're supposed to be there to begin with. They care about aligning with how can I get the most money and how can I stay in power for as long as possible. Yeah. And that comes with you know towing the party line instead of doing what's best for your constituents. And here's the best part. Most Republican voters agree on that exact same sentiment. They just think that the left is wrong in everything that they say. Whereas like any one person, like I'll talk to my dad, I'll talk to anybody, you know, any Republican side. And, and, you know, we, we, we agree on almost everything. Politicians are in it for the money, not for the people. So why do we keep voting in these elections for completely no apparent, you know, benefit to the American people yet, all they ever do is start infighting amongst the constituents instead of infighting among the parties themselves and then candidates themselves. That makes yeah. a difference. It's crazy. Anyway, I'll digress. Let's get back to some of the music. <laughs> <laughs> on a lighter note. Yeah. So on a lighter note, you guys are now doing a ska band. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you've, uh, you've, you guys have actually re- released a couple of videos for this new, uh, new album so far. One for rewire the title track and one for waiting in the wings which are sort of like two songs on the end of the spectrum of punk music with rewire kind of being like that hardcore fast paced song kind of in the vein of like suicidal tendencies or something like that. And then you got waiting in the wings being kind of more like a bad religion or poly sounding song. You guys pull off what a lot of bands can't with your diversity in sound. What do you feel is the reason you can play in these styles and these different styles so well? I think that that kind of just comes to the speaks to the influences of all four of us in the band. Yeah. Um, uh, Kyle initially brought in the rewire riff and I was like, Oh, this is a cool riff. We should play this like as fast as humanly possible. And I just want to yell at people. This is yeah. awesome. <laughs> um, waiting in the wings is, I mean, it was, it was very much, I was listening to a lot of like Pennywise and rise against when I wrote that song, I specifically remember I'm like, huh, I don't know if this sounds too much like what I'm listening to, or if it's just coming <laughs> yeah. out of me because I'm listening to this stuff. Yeah. But I think the, um, Again, the influences of all four of the people in the band, all four of the guys, really shine through in different ways in certain songs. And again, I I don't like to limit us to what we can do, as far as what types of songs can fit under like the counterpunch umbrella. Like, let's write it, and if it doesn't fit with a couple other songs, then fine, we'll find something else to do with it. But at least it's there, and it's cool, and it's different. You know, instead of just shooting down ideas, it should be like a free flow and see where it goes. Yeah. And I think vanity is a perfect example. That's kind of a, even on the kind of like the pop rock scale there, it's almost not even punk anymore. It's, it's a great song though. It, it's really one of those surprise songs on the album for me. It's a ripper. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I like that one. That's one of my, that's one of my sneaky favorites on the album. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just unique. I mean, it, it's kind of like one of the songs that not that any songs like so uniquely different or changes everything, but it's such a clean sounding song versus, you know, some of the punk stuff on there that I almost am just like, I don't know. This is like, this is like, I, I don't want to say pop song, but it's, it's a lot poppier and it's, it's kind of just like a fun song to listen to. It's just, it's just different. I don't even know how to explain it. I think people just got to listen to it. Go buy the album. Damn it. And go listen yeah, to the song. Damn it. <laughs> Vinyl will be shipping soon. I promise. Go buy like yeah. 17. <laughs> So let's talk about kind of punk rock in general, because, uh, you know, over the last like 15 years, it kind of seems like 
there was a dark age for punk rock where bands and labels and even fests were kind of shrinking fan bases were aging kind of like I was mentioning before and overall demand just kind of seemed like it was less than ever. I mean, um, you guys have been around the whole time and it was kind of like that era where you started and, and are, are, you know, where we are now, but it seems like the pendulum, uh, for lack of a better word, because obviously that's uh, one of the song names from you guys' album, uh, is kind of swung around now. But what is your sense of how punk music and rock music are starting to make a bit of a comeback after years of seemingly being shunned by mainstream and even casual fans? See, I think there the there's two different arcs: the the rest of the world and kind of like North America. Yeah. And it's not that other areas of the world are behind the trend or get to it later. I think it just lasts longer in other areas, if that makes sure. sense. I mean, at the time when there was some pretty bleak, you know, bleak um, shows and the dark ages, call them here for, for that style of music in the States, you know, we would go across the world to like play a bunch of festivals in Europe and they were just packed. Yeah. So it's just a matter of finding surfing the waves, you know, finding, finding where it's popular and, and going there and still playing and hoping that it eventually comes back to some place that's a little bit closer to home. So we don't have to hop on a plane and rent a bunch of gear and find a driver yeah. and a van and do, you know, do all the logistics of a overseas tour. But yeah, there, there definitely is, I see a little resurgence. I see like an actual local scene happening again, which is yeah. something that I grew up going to like shows at Fireside Bowl here in Chicago and like Knights of Columbus shows that always happened out in the suburbs. Like, I saw um, I saw Strung Out and Bad Religion and like Rise Against and Fall Out Boy and all these bands playing at Knights of Columbus halls and they were just shows <laughs> that some small promoter put together and it was just a jam packed awesome time. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot of house shows pop up now, tons yeah. of house shows, which is awesome to see again because we used to do that as well. We had a, a practice space out in the Chicago suburbs that was a friend's house and we would just do shows out of the basement. And it got a little out of control, so we had to stop doing that. Yeah. But um, as almost they always do, it's like you know, cops come eventually, so you got to play as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they showed up and then they found out what was going on. Like, all right, well, you know, tell everyone to park over there. And yeah. Don't do anything stupid to the neighbors' houses. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I definitely see a little bit of a resurgence. And I, if if you as a listener and whoever's listening to this haven't been to just like a sweaty basement show that is packed with like 30 of your best friends you have not experienced a proper punk show yeah <laughs> well i played a, a, back in high school i think we played a couple of living rooms with about 15 people so is that the same yeah yeah sure <laughs> as long as you didn't touch any of the other things on the mantle or yeah, uh, yeah. the fine china in the other room don't drink my parents alcohols you assholes <laughs> yeah right fill it back up with iced tea or water or yeah. something yeah um, yeah, I mean, it's funny that you mentioned kind of the, 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 the difference between the rest of the world and here, because I remember going into Australia, like even 2015, well, even later I've been there, but 2015, I was there for four months and go to a bar, you know, there'd be like bands playing, they're playing their own music, but then every once in a while they do a cover song or something come on the radio. And one song that really like surprised me was the song Teenage Dirtbag by that band Weedus. I don't know if you remember that song, but mm -hmm. That shit was like one summer in like 1999 for the U.S. and never heard from again. It is still played in Australia like it's a brand new song. Yeah. They are like, they love that song. I'm like, nobody liked this song in America. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, why are you clinging to this dumb song for so long? But 
they're like every anytime it comes on the entire it's like sweet caroline here the entire oh bar will start singing it word for word i'm like what the fuck is happening Am I in the twilight zone? <laughs> swear to god <laughs> that's bizarre yeah just I mean, a weird... good, good for weedus they yeah. have a huge following in australia you know <laughs> there's an opportunity to go play some shows there and be have yeah. like an entire crowd singing your song. Everybody <laughs> knows who Weedis is in Australia. I, I don't get it. I mean, this is people from like age 20 to 40. It, well, there didn't seem to be an age gap. Everybody who was at least in that era knew that song and every word to it. I was like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I just saw a flyer for them for somewhere around Chicago, actually. Funny that you mentioned them. And I, I had the same reaction. I was like, for real, the teenage yeah. dirtbag band, like this is this is they're still together. I haven't heard about them in like twenty years. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. It's crazy stuff. All right, so obviously Rewired has been out for I think about a month now. I think it came out maybe three four weeks ago. Uh, yeah. What kind of reception are you guys getting? And you know, from fans and critics, if you want to call them critics anymore, it's really just blog sites now. Um, and have you gotten any bad feedback that you want to address and tell those dummies to kick rocks, or has it all been pretty positive? <laughs> I mean. You know, whenever you put your art out into the world, people are going to judge, be it positive, negative, or not even pay attention to it. So you, you just got to kind of let that roll off your back. If you get a bad review, you know what you put into it, your blood, sweat, and tears, and, and all that stuff. And I don't know. I mean, it's been pretty well received, I like to think, getting some good yeah. reviews. Um, five out of, you know, four out of five, eight out of ten, stuff like that. I'm, I'm seeing trickle in. Seems like people are really enjoying it. Um, I don't think it's a huge departure for us as from a sound perspective. So I think old fans can dig into it and people that are just hearing us for the first time can, can dig into the record and then work backwards and listen to some of the older stuff and see the connection there. It's not like, you know, it doesn't dry up. Um, yeah. I don't feel, but I think overall, I mean, you know, really know Willow song. Smith and machine gun Kelly. I mean, that's just obvious. I mean, obviously <laughs> you need to marry a Kardashian or something. I don't know. Yeah, that shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but overall, I think it's been pretty cool to see just like everyone's basically positive reactions. I think the only the only bad review, I think, I, like it wasn't even a bad review. It was just the German compliment. Let's call it that. Oh, um, yeah. It was like, yeah, this song, this record is fast, but it's not fast enough. I wish it was fast the whole time, but because it's not as fast every single song, the entire record, uh, it's just sort of okay. And that was yeah. like the reaction. I was like, did you just listen for tempos? Did you actually yeah. like listen to the record or did you just kind of like skip through each song and wait for the fast ones? Yeah. Yeah. I Which mean, obviously with, within each song, there is definitely, you know, change of pace. You know, that's how good songs are usually written. It's not just here's two minutes of us playing at the exact same tempo for the entire song and yelling over the top of it. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing I can say about this record versus the others from start to finish, if, if you are listening to the album in its entirety, it just flows really well. Yeah. Um, you don't get stuck in like a, a mid-tempo poppy rut for a couple songs or like stuck in that fast realm for a couple songs. It just kind of, it all flows together really well from start yeah. to finish. And I'm, I'm actually really excited to get the test pressing for the vinyl to actually just like sit back and let the record play. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So obviously you guys are going to be doing some touring a bit to kind of you know, promote the album and, and not, you know, just get back out there. But can you let us kind of know what you're going to be doing? I know you guys are playing the Punk Rock Saves Lives Festival, their very first festival in Denver coming up here at the end of the month. But what else do you guys got going on? Yeah, that's, God, that's like two weeks away. It seems like it's been forever in planning. Yeah. Um, 
that's going to be a lot of fun. We get to uh, we get to play with our hometown boys, the Bull Weevils. So really excited about that show in Denver. Um, but coming up in September, we are going to be playing music for cancer in Montreal. Pretty cool festival up there. And doing a few shows there and back, probably like a two, three-week tour with the Vulture Wake. So nice. those shows, those dates are starting to kind of trickle in now, and we're figuring out confirmations. I can't quite announce them yet, but it's in the works. Um, that's, that's pretty much what we have going on right now and working on a few other things we can't really talk about. But I promise you we will be on the road as much as humanly possible because uh, this album needs to be played live. I feel like a lot of the songs translate better live, to be honest sure. with you, too. So. Yeah. For sure. And, and that's kind of like when you were talking about, you know, getting stuck in ruts on an album. I feel like if an album is the track listing is like how it would be played if you played the whole album live and you get that feel. If it sounds like it's going to be like done in a live setting like that, it seems like it's always a better track listing than, you know, just playing consecutive ones that are all the same or whatever, or just doing things for a specific formula. I feel like if it's if it sounds like it would be played live all the way through, then it's usually the best case scenario. Yeah, I think um, the last song we wrote for this record actually is the last song on the record, Paradise Lost. And I think that might actually be my favorite song on the record. And yeah. it's not a byproduct of the fact that I heard it and like hammered out every detail prior to going in the studio as much as the others or that it was fresher than the others. I just, I don't know. I think that song is a really good indication of the direction this band is going to be going in uh, in the next as we start to write this new record that, yeah. you know, hasn't been even discussed yet, but yeah. as we're putting material together for, for uh, the next record, it's, that's a really good indication. I think of where this band is going. I'm really excited for it. Yeah. And I think it's always, you know, I remember the nineties when people would kind of do that, where they'd kind of tease like a next album with like, you know, a secret song at the end or, you know, the last song kind of might be kind of a change of direction to kind of signal, you know, what the next album will be. And, it doesn't seem like that's usually the case with many albums these days, but I feel like it's kind of like a thing that happened more in the nineties. And I think it's starting to kind of come around again a little bit with some, some bands these days, but it's always cool. Like I even did it on my, my own CD. I did a secret song or whatever and kind of did a, like an acoustic folk song that was totally different than the rest of the album, which was all punk. And, and lo and behold, when the band broke up, I went and kind of did my own thing where I was doing more rock songs than, um, than punk songs so it's kind of like that's how it was here's the question was it like the last song and then you had to fast forward like five minutes to get to it or was it like one of those you put uh put on track one and then you hit rewind and hold it down and it goes like backwards <laughs> into like this narnia area of the no i try to make it accessible but also kind of space it out so there's one minute of silence after the last song and then track 11 starts so we had 10 tracks secret song is track 11 so you didn't have to wait for the one full minute but if you forgot that like you were playing the album and just kept playing a minute later the sec the next song would come up or if you're just like i'm not waiting for it you could hit skip and get to the next song nice yeah i feel like that's just that's a, that's a nice thing to do for the fans it's like marvel can we just skip your damn credits so we can see the end sequence please thanks totally <laughs> I, I mean every time i every time i see one of the mcu movies with my wife i'm like hold on yeah hold on just stay right there that and like star wars very, Seven more Star minutes of this horse shit, and then we can go. <laughs> let's, just, let's just hang out and watch everyone leave and miss out on yeah. like the last little snippet of tease for something else that we haven't seen yet. So exactly. So, I think that's that's going to be the kind of new thing. You, you should be writing secret songs that tease the next album, like the Marvel Universe teases their movies. 
the uh, the whole song and the whole album actually. If you buy the CD, actually <laughs> the actual physical CD, and you just hit rewind, it only plays backwards. <laughs> if you put it in your CD player, it just doesn't work. If you still have a CD player, you have to go backwards. So every song is technically a secret song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're onto something. We're gonna we're gonna save a dying media. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I mean, I don't know the last time I bought a CD, but uh, I actually, I probably do. It's probably a cursive album because I, d- I still don't have a record player, but I buy these albums for decoration more than for playing them because I don't have a record player, but I'm like, it looks cool on the wall. So yeah. It does. You got some you got some good ones up there. I was noticing that when we started talking. Yeah, yeah. You need a record player, dude. Um, I, I mean, the human voice is not a digital instrument. It doesn't you lose something once something becomes digitized a little bit. You lose some of the, the warmth, in my opinion. The, uh, yeah. A good, got- a clean piece of vinyl with a good needle on a good system, it's still probably the best that record is ever going to sound. Yeah. Well, I'll say I grew up with vinyl. Uh, I had my, you know, my mom and dad's stack. Like, separately, they had their own stack, and then I somehow kind of gathered them all up at one point and was playing, like, CCR on my record player and all this other stuff. I just got fed up with playing it i think and then when they had cds i was like holy shit this is so much clearer so much better no scratching can occur and then all of a sudden they scratch and i'm like digital sweet no scratching at all so i think there was just kind of like a thing in my head of like man i'm gonna it's gonna get ruined i'm i'm not that freaking you know i'm not gonna you know plastic glove it put it in there brush it off and do all that stuff i'm just like if it scratches this is now useless to me (laughs) sure so yeah i feel you i mean it's it's a commitment because you gotta do the flip yeah. You know, you got to like, if you're doing a manual needle thing, got to make sure you aren't, you know, you didn't drink too much coffee or you're not drunk. <laughs> yeah. You're not like your fingers, not like shaking as you go to like, put the needle down. And God forbid you want to jump around while you're listening to it. But some, sometimes it's okay. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I always loved vinyl. I always loved the sound of it, but I always just got kind of inconvenienced by it. So I haven't, I have never picked it back up, but um, I like supporting bands, buying stuff from them. So as much as I can, I'll, I'll, I'll pick some vinyl up here and there. I mean, it is it is pretty cool to see how that just exploded again. Yeah. To the point where even, like, new plants can't keep up with demand. Yeah. Well, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's cool to see. I mean, I'm going to bring back 8-track. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I still think it's odd that people are playing cassette tapes again. I'm like, why? I know. That, like, one, that, that sounds so terrible. Like, yeah. they, that's such a bad choice for me. Yeah. It's like, remember um, that part where at the beginning of it, it's like, and then it starts playing. Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> like, yeah, sounds, or, you know. Sounds not supposed to happen. You take the tape out and the entire ribbon is just like caught in the machine. And yeah. Got to pencil it back in. <laughs> I think it's a nostalgia thing because I, yeah. I, mean, I don't know anyone that still has an actual tape player in their car. Yeah, no, I I don't think they've made them past like 1995. Probably. I can't imagine that they're still a thing. I guarantee you though, if there is an option to have that in your car, our drummer Jim would have it. <laughs> and then he would have like a CD player with like the tape adapter for sure. He loves, yeah. he loves all that kind of stuff, man. He's like a collector of just like days past. Yeah. Retro stuff. Yeah. Yep. Very cool. So have I missed anything that you guys are going to be doing looking forward to in the next few months, or you want to say anything to, you know, fans that are having heard of the record maybe, or, you know, anybody who doesn't know who counterpunch is by now, uh, obviously we'll put all the links to everything below this uh, episode in the show notes, but do you want to sign off with anything to let people know what the, what the shit's going on? Yeah, sure. 
Um, I mean, if you haven't listened to Rewire, please go ahead and listen to it. Give it a bad review or good review or any review, you know, let us yeah. know what you think. It always, uh, it always makes our day to hear someone that enjoyed something that we took so long to create and keep an eye out. Cause we'll probably come into your town at some point soon. Sweet. And then one last question before we sign off, what new music would you recommend to some, to somebody who's listening right now to, for them to check out that maybe they aren't listening to right now? Uh, I think the last record that I picked up that I really enjoyed was the new Pulley record. Okay. Yeah. Uh, really like Golden Life. It's yeah. uh, it's been a, it's been on pretty much repeat. That the Wilhelm Scream record. Yeah. Love to see those guys out and about again. I was able to catch them when they came through Chicago a couple of weeks ago, and it was just like, it's just next level. If you've never seen them live, get into that band. If you haven't, if you snoozed on it, I don't know how you could have, but if you did. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's such a complicated cerebral record, and it sounds so good. Yeah. And um, well, no one ever comes to Vegas unless there's a festival, so I miss out on a lot of the bands that don't come around here. Have punk rock bowling. Like, yeah. Well, exactly, but it didn't happen this year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. But yeah, pretty much everybody catches up on one one festival a year for like four days, and then we're good for the rest of the year. But anyway, that works. That yep. works. Well, I want to thank you so much, Eric, from Counterpunch for being on the show today. Make sure to go to the show notes below this episode to check out their music because they're freaking awesome and they're going to be doing some really cool things coming up. So stay tuned. If you're not following them on Instagram, all that stuff, pow, uh, you know, go follow them there, Counterpunch there. Remember, the Powered by Rock podcast is powered by our listeners. If you want to show us some support, please be sure to subscribe and share the podcast on social media. You can also make a donation to the podcast to help us keep making some awesome episodes with awesome guests. You know, everything's free, but if you want to, kick some some coin our way that's always uh, you know much preferred and, and much appreciated if you want to go find out anything about you know new music coming up or anything you know rock related you can go to our website which is poweredbyrock.com to check out articles album reviews lists and interviews and read that absolutely free rocking blog there you can go see this interview the full video interview on our youtube channel and also spotify now as well you can go to our website to find our merch and gear as well so you can pick up some items to play and look like a rock legend. That's our show for today. We'll see you soon for the next episode. Until then, rock on. Supposed to be easy It's cold